Hi, y'all. Welcome to Prairie Fire. I'm here with Jesse Miller, an organizer from the Texas A&M YDSA. He and I are going to be talking about weather underground. All right. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on today to talk about uh, weather underground. Um, the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, why are you interested in weather underground? Um, and can you give us like a brief summary of, uh, you know, their history and sort of why you're interested in in that group? Yeah, uh, this is so exciting. So um, uh, the Weather Underground was basically a student-led activist group um, that specifically their activist tactics were based upon armed struggle and the use of um, bombs and property destruction as a way to bring awareness to the violence that was happening in the Vietnam War at the time um, and just the civil unrest that was caused by the Vietnam War. Um, like the underground portion of it, um, just like the, the theory of being underground was really based upon, um, the tactics that, um, people who were drafted into the Vietnam War used to essentially like, uh, assume false identities and avoid the draft. Um, so that's like sort of where the term underground got its name in the sixties and seventies was people like changing their identities and finding new identities and then just like disappearing off the map. Um, so the weather underground group. Um, branched off from a, a student activist group called the Students for a Democratic Society. Um, they were a branch, like a faction of the SDS called the Revolutionary Youth Movement. Um, and then they sort of like changed their name and became their own separate organization. Um, but they're very, very widely known for um, some of their like bombings and bank robberies during the 60s and 70s, um, as well as for the organized protests of the Days of Rage in 1969, um, they bombed the U.S. Capitol building, they bombed the Pentagon, and they also bombed the um, department headquarters for the NYPD. Um, and basically, they're like during the 60s and 70s, they were really one of the most like widely observed like student terrorist organizations. And I'm I'm using air quotes. I know this is a podcast, but like basically, like they like their tactics for bringing awareness to the movement and like bringing like tons and tons of new leftist groups together into the movement through like like intersectionalist organizing and things like that um like really created like a very strong like youth-led movement during the 60s and 70s okay interesting so that's that's a great uh summary you know as a you know, Gen Z Zoomer person. <laughs> um, the first time I ever heard the words weather underground was not in reference to this organization. It was the uh, app, like the actual weather app that people have on like their phones. And my dad was like, yeah, weather underground. I was like, huh. And I <laughs> learned that the the person who made that app went to, I think it was the University of Michigan where Weather Underground started, and he did that, like, on purpose as, like, a reference to them. That's so funny. Yeah. I know. I, I was like, what? That, that <laughs> caught me off guard. Yeah, it's it's funny, because, like, when you try to, like, you Google search it, the app is the first thing that comes up, and, like, for a second, I was trying to, like, brush up on some of the information, and I was like, wait, <laughs> like, what's going on? Is this real? <laughs> um, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's funny that they actually came from the Ann Arbor campus. That's really cool. Yeah. That, that, that really surprised me. Um, but... They were a student organization, and as you said, they they split from students from a democratic society, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how did that 
schism kind of shape their trajectory as an organization? And like, what was the what was the philosophical split? Like, what was there some sort of philosophical difference that necessitated that that divert like a uh, that split in groups? Um, so the Students for a Democratic Society was really a student activist organization that um, truly was confined to um, college campuses and the broader network of having different chapters on college campuses, um, similar to YDSA is like now. Um, so it was a it was a national organization and they had different chapters on different college campuses, but they focused more on like purchase. They called it participation participatory democracy um which is essentially like using your skills and your knowledge of the way that the american democratic system works not only through methods of voting but also through things like canvassing and campaigning and uh, quite like ydsa it was meant to sort of um bolster up political campaigns for um for um, political figures and for um, for platforms that supported um, like the ideals of the group um, and unfortunately I think like the reason that they split and the reason that there was again the branch of the revolutionary youth movement um, which then turned to the the weathermen was it was just um, the different methods of organizing so while the SDS focused more on like again, like campaign organizing and working within the tools and organizing tools of their universities and the resources that they had. I think that the the Weathermen and the the revolutionary youth sort of like broke off to start organizing outside and they recognized those institutions, like their colleges as like part of the problem, essentially. Like again, be, um like the universities quieting protests on campus, um, the universities working with the FBI and the CIA to investigate student cases, um, and just like the general, um, the push from universities against um, student organizers and student activists, to, especially during like the higher and more active parts of like the, the war against the war in Vietnam. I see. Okay. So that's, that's interesting. So it's like, it, it was, they, they thought SDS was too moderate, basically. Like, they're mm -hmm. not willing to challenge the, the key powerful institutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was, it was a combination of them viewing them as too moderate and also a combination of them recognizing that there were resources to be used and recognizing their own privilege, not just as students, but um, predominantly as, like, white people from suburban neighborhoods and white people in like moderate income families to use their organizing privilege outside of the universities to make a difference. Okay. That's, that's fascinating. That's a interesting divide that we still see in organizations today. It feels like, um, you know, they, whether underground as an organization, whenever I, you know, mention that, you know, name, to people who are kind of from that generation, there's a little bit of like a, like a <laughs> sort of, um, you know, like this, this badness associated with that sort of radicalism. And we know that, you know, radicals get vilified in, you know, mainstream discourse. Um, and you even mentioned earlier when you were introducing them, you said, 
you know, terrorist with air quotes. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you make of their categorization as terrorists in their later years? Do you think that is a valid label or do you do you differ from that? Um, I think in terms of because like the FBI and the CIA during that time period did like specifically label the whether underground organization as a terrorist organization um, and that led to a lot of FBI movements especially like COINTELPRO um, giving like um, like federal permission essentially to start really truly like investigating these people and arresting the students and the organizers under um conspiracy allegations and things like that um so they were like that the fact is is they were labeled as a terrorist organization but so many of the leading members of the organization especially bill ayers who um, wrote a fantastic memoir on sort of his experience leading the weather underground have specifically like asserted that it was not in fact a terrorist organization um throughout their history especially towards um, the beginning and the fallout of the Days of Rage and the the Greenwich Village townhouse, um, they went through a lot of like sectionalism and they went through a lot of like changes in organizing tactics and organizing goals. But their primary goal was always to destroy property and to make use of an imperialist society's dependence on property and wealth as a way to bring down American imperialism. And so like that, like specifically like, like separates them from the label of terrorists because terrorists always commit random acts of terror against groups of people. And they commit acts of terror in terms of acts of violence specifically to affect human lives. Whereas the weather organization's uh, goal was always to destroy property. And especially um, after the Greenwich Village townhouse um, incident in which several of their members were killed by um, an accidental detonation of one of the bombs that they were making. Um, They specifically shifted and held a committee meeting to shift their tactics to be specifically nonviolent and specifically only to um, destroy property. And that was like something that they constantly like pushed throughout different like changes in leadership. I see. Uh, It's interesting. The idea about damaging property versus damaging human life that feels really topical with um, you know we saw the protests in Minneapolis Um, there was outrage about oh you know looters are destroying property but um, it seems like that's such a recurring concept this idea of you know what's more valuable property or human life that that distinction is key Mm -hmm. Um, you've mentioned a few times now, I think, the the days of rage. And I think that that's probably the, you know, if we're looking back at the timeline of Weather Underground, would you agree that that's sort of like the climax of their story? Um, actually, it is sort of like the beginning. Um, really? Yeah, so the... Um, the... Um, so the group, the the Revolutionary Youth Movement, which was the the faction of the the SDS, broke off and labeled themselves the Weathermen, which um, eventually was changed to the the Weather Underground, um, specifically by like the female voices in the group. Um, and so they they created this group, the Weathermen, and then 
they the first movement that they wanted to create was a gigantic protest called the Days of Rage. And the point of the Days of Rage was essentially to bring the horror and the terror and the like the calamity and violence of the Vietnam War to the American home front. Um, I think I think that's what their slogan was was bring the war home essentially to introduce the American public and introduce um, just American suburbia and the, the comfort in American cities to truly what was going on in um, in Vietnam and truly what the the soldiers were experiencing um, at the hands and commands of the United States military. Um, and so they they organized this huge protest. Um, but when they got there, like they the information told them that there were going to be thousands of people. Um, and in fact, there were only like several hundred. Um, and so that was sort of like an organizational failure on that part and that by breaking off um, as the weather as the weathermen and trying to organize this huge protest, um, initially the weathermen had a lot of very specific um, ideas and narratives and very specific like manifestos that sort of um, like rejected the overall counterculture um, against, the Vietnam War and against, um, um, like ag against just like the the general like peace movement of the sixties and seventies, um, and so the and this was definitely like this this um, this push against just like the overall encompassing feeling of hating the war and hating the violence and hating the overall injustice in America. They pushed against it, thinking that there wasn't enough activism and there wasn't enough. Um, organization and so they sort of became an isolated group and this was accentuated after the days of rage because not many people showed up to something that they were trying to organize and they believed that was a failure on the part of new leftist groups and that was like um, the the failure for new leftist groups to not to, to step up and to truly support this movement with bodies and with presence um, so the days of rage was probably one of the first things that the Weathermen did, the first major um, organized protest that the Weathermen created, um, and it was tried, like, despite its very dramatic name, it was tragically anticlimactic. I mean, there was, I think there was, um, there was nearly $200,000 um, in damage cost to the state of Illinois, and this also included um, just like through the, like the damage done through writing, they broke like tons of windows of tons of banks and stuff like that. Um, and uh, so they did end up costing um, Chicago, the city of Chicago, like tons of money and damages, which was a success on their part. Um, but like there ended up being a total of like 68 arrests. Um, the event did not <laughs> nearly last as long as they were hoping it to. They were hoping it to last um, at least for a week. Um, and unfortunately, like the lack of numbers just truly ended the event before they could accomplish their goal of like bringing the message that they wanted to American soil. Um, so it was it was a, a sad beginning, but I think it was also like eye opening for the organizers of um, of the weathermen to get organized in terms of understanding what their goals needed to be and how they needed to interact with other new leftist groups. Okay, that's fascinating. Thank you for uh, correcting my perception of the the timeline in that sense. Um, so 
this this group and these protests were sort of born of an anti-war um you know framework did they have more successful anti-war organizing going forward i mean it seems like this idea of bring the war home is so powerful did that resonate at all or did they have to to shift to find success um it was they definitely as an anti-war group had a rocky start um so they 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 had the days of rage um which unfortunately alienated them from a bunch of new leftist groups that could have been allies with them um because of just their uh their disdain for the people that did not show up to the protest and their distrust of other um new leftist organizing groups um in terms of like how far they were willing to go in terms of activism um and so they continued to um, work as a group to solidify their goals um, and uh, understand like their organizing tactics from there. Um, they committed several arson attacks um, in New York City in 1970, um, and those were um, fairly successful in um, creating lots of property damage, but unfortunately they were very unorganized um, and caused more of an uprising rather than again like the statement that they wanted in terms of truly causing damage and truly causing the amount of property damage um similar to just the destruction that was happening over in vietnam um and then the next i think the the biggest shift um for the group in terms of their their success and their um their organizing tactics and their true coalition as a unit um, was the the Greenwich Village townhouse explosion, um, and that was the explosion that happened when some of the um, the underground members, um, specifically in the Weather Bureau, which was sort of the like steering committee um, for the Weather Underground, were killed in an accidental detonation while they were making bombs in the townhouse. Um, and because of that, um, they, again, like put exposure on some of their organizing and they put accidental exposure on some of their group members and their, their next steps in terms of the different events that they wanted to plan. Um, so um, after the, the townhouse explosion, so many of the members just went completely underground um, for a while and the, the, um, the weather underground just disappeared. Um, for a little bit because several of their members died um, in the explosion and they had to regroup and recuperate. Um, but then after the explosion, they um, they brought together a bunch of the, um, the Bureau committee members to have a committee meeting and essentially create a statement for what the next step forward for the group was. Um, and that was when they truly dedicated themselves to <clears throat> not being a violent group, but a group that was specifically meant to destroy property and make a message through um, property damages and um, just general public awareness. Um, and then after after they were or able to organize that group, they actually um, cut. There were there were two opposing sides during that committee meeting. There was the the very militant side, um, and then there was um, the peaceful property damage side. Um, and uh, the, the leader of the, the sort of like leading voice on the, 
um, the faction that wanted to use more of an armed struggle against people and use more violent tactics, um, John Jacobs was actually expelled from the group um, to be able to create more unity in the group. Um, and then they, um, the other bureau members were able to sort of lead the group to the next events. So I think, I think um, the, the like long story short, basically like the, the Greenwich Village townhouse explosion created a huge shift in the Weather Underground movement because the Weather Underground members in positions of leadership truly understood what the risk could be if their focus was on destroying life, um, specifically because several of their members had died in the explosions. Um, and so after that, the group completely took off. That's when some of their major bombings, specifically of the U.S. Capitol building um, and the Pentagon and the, the NYPD um, department headquarters, um, the, their very, very successful work and the work that they were known specifically as and the work that had them labeled as a major, major terrorist organization um, happened after that shift in the movement. I see. Uh, so, you know, it was several decades ago now that this all happened, and, you know, I'm sure that there are scores of people who have spent those decades deliberating on this, but briefly, is there anything, in your opinion, that you think leftists can learn from their growth as a movement uh, today, you know, like leftists in, in the modern in the modern sense? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, obvious, like you were talking about how sort of, like, a lot of people who were in that era sort of, like, looked down on the, the Weather Underground as, like, a, a scary, a scary, spooky organization and with that, that horrible term terrorist labeled upon them. But I think that national renown really speaks to their organizing tactics. And again, even after, after their, like, horrific failure in their horrific event of the the townhouse bombing um they were able to successfully all go underground which takes a huge amount of organizing and a huge amount of organizing success for that to happen um so i think in terms of what we can learn from the timeline of their success and the timeline in shifts in leadership and shifts in goals is that sectionalism within leftist movements is something that needs to be tackled in a way that comes from compassion and comes from very, very strict organizing tactics. Um, I think that one of the things that the underground struggled with was their involvement with um, the Black Liberation Movement. Um, originally, part of their like original manifesto as a group was to fight against white supremacy and fight against white privilege um and one of their the main like narratives and like images that they used to base their group upon was something called the international proletariat um in which they specifically organized all of their um their marxist and leftist ideals around ideals of racism and around ideals of anti-racism um to be able to make sure that there was no racist um, sort of like white savior narratives being uh, propagated throughout their group in terms of like the organizing that they were doing. Um, and then later on, um, when they first started out, they began to work with 
the Black Panther movement, um, and then they had the committees specifically stating that they would no longer be um, uh, committing acts of violence and specifically would only focus on property damage. Um, and the Black Panther group was uh, like pissed. They were they were really upset with the Weather Underground because it's sort of um, that that the terminology that they used and the goals that they used during the the committee meeting to change their goals sort of spoke out against violence in a way that went against some of the ideals of the Black Panther movement at the time um, and was, again, uh, too, too modernist or um, not directed enough at um, racism within society in a way that would be effective um, and align with the Black Panther's goals. Um, and so even when they they changed their movement goals and they changed their direction as an organization in a way that made their organizing more successful, um, they had to break away from certain groups in order to do that. Um, and then later on, after the end of the Vietnam War, um, the group ended up um, going back to helping the Black Liberation Movement and specifically allying with the Black Liberation Army um, in armed bank robberies um, and different events that brought violence into the group again that led to um, multiple arrests of some of the, the higher, the, the leaders of the organization at the time. Um, so their their struggles with their their alignment with the Black Liberation Movement, um, as well as their their struggles with the the tactics of violence and anti-violence within their organization, really came from just different leaders in power um, and and different members with leadership voices within their organization. Um, and again, even the way that they sort of alienated a lot of new leftist groups after. Um, the fallout of the Days of Rage, um, the the organization struggled to find support and find those numbers until they were able to find a new movement um, or find a new goal for their movement in a way that included more groups into the movement. Um, I think so. <laughs> the in, in terms of what leftist groups can learn from the Weather Underground is that leadership in a way that is based upon communication of a goal and flexibility of goals is incredibly important because sectionalism and disagreements between different groups on organizing tactics um, and on different priorities in terms of um, a leftist movement is always going to happen. And so in order for your group to be successful, you need to truly make sure that you are respectful to the groups that you are allying with um, and are open-minded to the ideas of new groups in a way that is inclusive to increase your turnout and increase your numbers and increase your involvement in a way that might have prevented sort of the, um, the fallout of the days of rage and the lack of numbers. Um, and this is, um, this is actually really interesting because it goes back to um, the, the name of your podcast um, is it still, it's still Prairie Fire, yeah, right? Prairie yeah, Prairie Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so after the, after the end of the Vietnam War, um, there was a documentary created about the Weather Underground in 1975. Um, and that sort of like led to, um, led to some of the major organizations. Um, oh, sorry. Um, so in, in 1974, um, after the end of the Vietnam War, this was like directly after they 
some of the major leaders of the organization were trying to find a new direction that would essentially bring um bring more leftist groups into the movement and possibly like um make the weather underground not so underground in terms of bringing it back into the light of just general organizing and activism um in a way that was less destructive um and more based upon mutual aid um and like constructive um society building and so several of the um several of the major leaders um bill ayers and um bernadie doors um and jeff jones as well um got together and wrote the prairie fire manifesto um which is actually based upon a quote from mao zedong um called a single spark can set a prairie fire um which so i thought it was really cool that like the, the podcast was named upon that um but essentially like prairie the prairie fire manifesto was a manifesto talking about what the post-war movement should be in terms of um, allying certain group, like allying leftist groups together as a coalition um, to fight narratives of racism and to fight um, um, persisting narratives of imperialism after the war. Um, and I think something like 5,000 copies of the manifesto were produced um, and distributed to um, like coffee shops and small like bookstores and libraries. Um, and it was like widely renowned as sort of this like unifying manifesto um, that again had a lot of the heart of Weather Underground but was a lot more inclusive and a lot more focused on unity. Um, and I think that that sort of speaks to again like really defying sectionalism within leftist organizing in a way that is inclusive of other groups but is also respectful of the the differences in organizing tactics and the differences of goals of those groups um and just making sure that like um the different ideas of different groups are taken into consideration and put into something like a manifesto of a collection of ideas rather than like a specific um idea or goal awesome i mean that question i posed was such a complex difficult question to approach and that answer that you gave um is fantastic um oh well thank you and yeah of course uh it's so funny also that you mention the prairie fire organizing committee um and the quote from Mao Zedong uh because i am gonna expose myself as a a bit of a a baby leftist um (laughs) i didn't know that at all that actually came i discovered that after i named the podcast oh really i I really like the flower prairie fire, Castilleja. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, like, sounds kind of left imagery like, but <laughs> Interesting. then I stumbled into this this group that predates me by decades and was like, wow. <laughs> All right. See, it was meant to be. That's it. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to read the um, prairie fire uh, manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess one last question I want to close with is why are you interested in Weather Underground? Um, and what what is it about their history that made you learn it and become so knowledgeable about it? Um, I think it's uh, sort of the connection that I feel to some of the leaders in um leading voices within the organization 
and sort of their backgrounds. Um, um, one of the things that I got a lot of information from was Bill Ayer's memoir of sort of his experience, because he was one of the people, the, the leading voices in the Weather Bureau. Um, and he was born in, um, I think it's, oh, Glen Ellen, Glen Ellen, Illinois. Um, and, and his wife, they actually ended up marrying uh, Bernadine Doors. Uh, was another leader within the Weather Bureau, and she was from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, which is like 20, 20 minutes away from my house. Um, and so I think it was both of them coming from white privileged families in um, like middle incomes families in sort of suburban areas, and the fact that they were able to organize within college groups and truly create this like incredibly powerful movement and incredibly organized movement um in the face of like so much adversity especially with like the fbi organizations and um the death of their friends diana um just within the in the townhouse explosion um i think that's why i found it so interesting is because for people who were not raised in leftist ideals and not raised um in the sort of like positions of um, poverty or um, positions of a, of a lack of privilege, either either due to race or to working class um, positions. I think like for me, I feel so out of touch, um, especially to the, the struggles of other people, um, simply because like I was never raised in those situations and I was never put in a position where I had to like worry about food or worry about income or worry about like being shot by a police officer. And so I, um, I sometimes feel like as a, a white person of privilege, um, both from um, my race, but also from my, um, my financial position, it, <laughs> the, the idea of like starting such a radical movement feels very out of touch sometimes um because i think that we've all been instilled sort of with this this fear of authority and with this fear of obviously the police and the cia and it's um it's just very interesting to me to think that they they broke free from their households and they broke free from the position that they were raised in to truly make radical change for people who were in um like harsher situations than they were um and i think that amount of organizing is very impressive and i, the, I think the reason the main reason why i find whether underground so interesting is because it, it makes radical organizing seem accessible like it makes it seem doable and possible and it truly is a representation of something like this can happen if you get people together and you have the right organizing tactics and the education that you need to do it. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's one of the biggest things too. And I, I think also one of the things that I found really interesting um, in Bill Ayer's memoir was he talked about sort of the, um, the, the circumstances of the time period that he was raised in that truly inspired him to be one of the leaders of such a radical movement um and he talked about his experience with um growing up in the cold war era essentially and constantly being afraid of like being bombed and the the worshiping of of bombs both during um the bombing of hiroshima towards the end of the uh of world war ii but also this is just like the 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 higher power of the atomic bomb during the cold war and the constant threat of just like knowing that 
you need to constantly be aware of like seeing bright flashes in the sky. Um, and so he, he goes on um, and to describe how basically he subverted all of the different narratives that he was raised with, like worshiping that nation and worshiping this level of destruction. And he like overcame that fear and overcame those narratives to specifically use detonation for his own organizing goals um, in terms of like the the domestic bombs that were set out um, in the Capitol building in the Pentagon um, during his organizing time. And so I think just take into consideration like all of the things that uh, we as organizers are experiencing today with like the, the rioting that is going on and there's so many different Black Lives Matter movements through Ferguson um, and ever since Ferguson moving on to the one today um, and just sort of like the heightening political tension within America um, and the, the realization of so many injustices um, and the, the willingness to act, especially within our generation. I think it's it's interesting not only the accessibility and the possibility of radical organizing, but the inspiration that happened behind it, um, especially for some of the, the major leaders within the Weather Bureau. So I think taking that message forward of like looking at your circumstances, both the ones that you were raised with and the ones that we're experiencing now and understanding that like, like a, there is a level of education and there's a level of organizing that can truly like create radical change um and the, the fact that that is something that is accessible to um people within like uh different positions um in life and coming from different situations in life i think that is just like very inspiring that's just awesome i mean wow that's fantastic um well this has been amazing uh before before we go do you have anything to plug any any final words you would want to say um i think just like for especially for white allies like me don't get tired yet like we got we have so much work to do um and if people are listening to this far in the future um just even no matter what situation you're in you always have work to do so just keep working um, I know that organizing protests is so important, but there's also so much that you can do in terms of um, spreading wealth and giving mutual aid. And even if you don't want to do something as radical as bombing the Capitol building, you will always find an outlet to help your movement. So just look out for opportunities. Awesome. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this history. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. Medicine, I'm 